0: I would say my whole career is based on that simple notion of, like, you don't know what's going to happen. Just ask.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and an artist. And on today's show, we are talking to Jason Sturgill. I met Jason at Portland Design Week, and I'm so glad that I got to have this conversation with him for the show here in San Francisco. Jason has an amazing story. He started his career at Wyden Kennedy. He's back there now. He began illustrating later on in his career. He kind of discovered it and has really made an amazing career as an illustrator for himself. He worked at Nike as a designer. He teaches. He had his own gallery. He is a huge fan of music. He even had his own record label and released one of Modest Mouse's first seven inches. So me and Jason have a lot in common and I was so excited to talk to him for the show. Jason is also really open about depression and his struggles with balancing his mental health and his career and his creativity. So I think there's so much... To learn from this episode, not only for your career but also for your well-being and living a good life. So I'm so excited to share the conversation with Jason Sturgill,
0: and let's get started. Jason, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
1: Yeah, it was so fun meeting you in Portland at yeah. Portland Design Week, and now you're visiting with your family. Yeah. and uh, it's really great to to get to have this conversation here in in San Francisco.
0: Yeah, it's it was amazing meeting you and I felt like we had so many like similar like similar stories and just like intersections of where we've been and what we've been interested in, so.
1: Yeah, definitely. And even our our shared love of music and and Modest Mouse yeah, uh, yeah for sure. is a uniter as well. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about your role now at Widen Kennedy. Yeah. We'll talk about your early career where you started out there. Yeah. But you've now years later
0: rejoined the ranks there. What is your your position? Uh, My position there is a design recruiter. So um, I was brought in by uh, Lauren Ranke, who's head of recruiting for the agency um, for the headquarters in Portland. Um, and specifically I I was brought in for the design department and, uh, the motion department. So, um, those are kind of the two areas that I focus on and, and basically looking for talent, um, for, you know, freelance permanent, um, and also our resident program, which is the summer program that we're just about to get started. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What was the, the motivator for you to, to join the ranks of a. Company and return back to one of your first places of uh, of working after being independent for a few years.
0: Yeah, it was actually nothing that I was looking for at all. Um, I I have my own studio in Portland. I still have it um, as an illustrator, um, and you know, I was I was on LinkedIn, you know, connecting with my folks and seeing what people were working on, and just randomly saw a post by. Lauren, who I, I used to work with, so I was connected with her, and she just posted this thing. It was kind of a kind of an abstract post about looking for somebody. Like she's, I think I'm trying to remember what the exact wording was, but it was something like, "Is there such a thing as somebody that's, you know, a designer, but also somewhat of a curator, and is infinitely curious about, you know, talent and, and always sort of searching for the newest thing, kind of thing." sort of a roundabout way of what she said and it was just all these little things that kind of hit the marks of like things that I've done in terms of like being a curator for a gallery you know being a designer like all these little things that I think you know while I was doing them they felt so sort of different and disconnected and not applicable to any one sort of job and then she just kind of Put it out there. As like, oh, I'm actually looking for somebody that does this.
1: And you saw it, and you said, well, this describes me. It's probably a great fit. It's a great company. I know it. Why not join up, have some stability, and and get this get this going?
0: Yeah, I mean, I always loved um, widen when I was there in the past, and I've always had you know tons of respect for all the work that they've done. So it it seemed to me that it was uh, too like perfect of a description to not at least throw my hat in the ring and see what if it if it was a good fit or not. So Yeah.
1: And and the studio that you still have for your illustration, which is really fun. I love the work that you do. Yeah. I'm curious about how you first started to get into illustration because I know that you've talked about not being into drawing when you were a kid. Yeah. And that you kind of discovered it maybe through design and and just different uh, creative projects. Yeah. How did you kind of like develop that practice?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think music has actually been the thing that got me into the creative world from the beginning. Like I've always been interested in music ever since I was a kid. Um, and I, you know, sang growing up um, in the choir and things like that. Um, and then when I was in, well in terms of the illustration, so yeah, I I didn't draw at all growing up at all. And then it wasn't until after grad school um, that I shared a studio with Kate Bingham and Burt and Will Bryant, who were both kind of taught were self taught illustrators that started doing it as adults as well. That made me think, well, these are two people that, you know, started out in design as well and then started doing illustration like if they can do it, I, I I should be able to try to do it. So, right. I I started off just drawing my cat. That was kind of the big impetus of just having um, something that I could play around with. Like, oh, I'm going to just draw my cat. It's going to be fun. It's inconsequential. It's not serious. Like, it's just this fun thing, and I'll it will be an experiment. Like, how many different ways can I draw them? <laughs> yeah. And so starting off of that and. People love cats. So I think it was an easy thing to get a good response from too. Yeah. Um, And it just kind of built, slowly built. And I ended up, I kind of, I had a solo show at a gallery in Portland that was just all about my cat. Right, right. (laughs) And you've talked
1: about Instagram being really important to building your following and people have been turned on to your work. Did you at that time start putting together an Instagram and sharing work or did you you know, oftentimes I talk to people about this, you know, do you share the process or do you share once you're kind of all buttoned up and ready to go? What, at what point did you start letting people in on this kind of drawing experiment?
0: I think I've always been an (laughs) oversharer. I share when people don't ask me to. (laughs) Um, And I mean, even before Flickr, actually one of my um, favorite people from when I was at Wyden the first time, he's a creative director in uh, Minneapolis now Jeff Kling I remember I did a trip to Sweden with my wife we went to Europe um, actually before we were married and I made a little just like web page you know p- posting pictures of all the things and like you know writing the descriptions like in Dreamweaver just like nobody was doing that back then there's yeah. like no way to share that stuff and he just thought it was like really interesting way to share your trip with people that didn't get to go or just your friends get to see that. And it's like, it's interesting thing about that now (laughs) when we're in an era of everybody shares everything all the time. Right. So um, I was, I was an early adopter to Instagram and that was, you know, more just sharing my life rather, not necessarily my work. Um, And so when I started doing the illustration stuff, I, I just immediately started posting Experiments on there, um, and then yeah I, I definitely don't clean anything up. I post like like if i if I don't I, I try to post every day um, and I was posting illustrations every day I, I haven't um, I think lately with the widened job I've done it a little bit less, but I'll just post a doodle that's in my sketchbook like it doesn't need to be cleaned up at all. it's just like here's an idea that I had today.
1: Yeah. And you've also talked about this idea that learning outside the classroom, learning beyond the classroom is really important. You've talked about it being maybe even more valuable than what you can get inside the classroom. How did that kind of thinking apply to your your work as an illustrator? Was part of you ever thinking, maybe I should study this? Hmm. Or did you just think, let me dive into it and keep going and, and find my own way?
0: yeah it's funny because I before I went to grad school in I studied art and social practice, which uh, it was kind of the only option for me in Portland really there wasn't a grad school program in illustration or design um, and I had looked at programs at CalArts and Art Center and like the typical places that people think of when they're thinking about grad school um, but I think that's the thing that served me really well is to to any time i try to learn new skills i kind of take a off off uh off the beaten track yeah just trying to approach it from a different perspective and so that always informs my work in an interesting way that maybe not everybody else is looking for they're kind of going to the normal places to like learn something i try to like I try to make I mean my work I think looks fairly naive and it looks like maybe anybody could do that um and I I try to keep it as sort of fresh and as like I don't know there's a when you when you don't know what you're doing I think you can uh have some results that have an interesting perspective that you wouldn't have if it was like overly trained or overly wrought and yeah, yeah. did
1: you have any because I, I'm just thinking about it for myself. If I was trying something new like that, I think my own insecurities might bring me to a place of feeling, you know, like an imposter, or you know, look at these other people who are in this show or doing this thing, and and look at you know their degrees. Did you ever feel that, or is that just not something that is anything that that touched you as you were creating?
0: Oh no, I always thought. I mean, I still like. I've just now, I feel like gotten to the point where I feel like, okay, like I have somewhat of an aesthetic and people can recognize my work because it feels like it's coming from the same place. But for the longest time, I just hated everything. And it was like hitting my head against the wall to try to make the work better. And it wasn't like I knew what I liked. I think that was the hardest part is I think um, Ira Glass has a talk where he talks about that is like you have good taste. Like that's how you start. And and the hardest part is getting past the point where you, you just make enough work where your work reaches the level of your taste. <laughs> and I still don't feel like my work is to the level of my taste, but it's getting closer.
1: Yeah. And you've also talked about serendipity and openness and the way we met is we were we were supposed to connect at the Portland Design Week opening party through Chloe at Scout Books, and we didn't get a chance to and I, then I think you followed up with her and then you reached out to me directly and I was so impressed uh, honored, felt so appreciated that somebody who you know really didn't know me at all but just said, you know." hey, this is somebody you should connect with, would, would reach out to me. And I've been telling people that story as really emblematic of the kind of vibe I got from people in the Portland creative community. And it's just been great to meet you and get to talk to you. And it seems that that kind of vibe of being open and having serendipity in mind when you have the chance to connect with somebody is so important to you. It is. It is for me too as well. When did that start to come into play for you? And when did you start to notice hey when i am in that zone good things connect
0: yeah i mean i I, it would be interesting to try to like pinpoint when exactly that started for me but i feel like it is kind of the crux of my whole life or or career is that i pay attention and when i feel like there's like i mean i feel like we we meet people for reasons and like a lot of times it's easy to kind of just like disregard like, Oh, this, you were introduced to this person and it's like, that was interesting or whatever. But I, I'm always the type of person that kind of like digs deeper and like, like wonders, like, why did I come into contact with that person? Like, is it, is there a reason beyond just this sort of chance meeting? Cause I feel like there's too many times where I've met people that I'm like, what are the odds of that happening? Like we have too many things in common. I mean, just like even after meeting you and we're like, oh, there's all these things with like modest mouse. I'm like, what are the odds of that just (laughs) coming to being? And, and, um, and, and I think about things back in the day with like modest mouse, like they were just randomly playing at a house show in my, where I went to college. Right. And, and then I th- they became one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah. And and it was through me like paying attention, like, oh, I think this band is has something special, like I wanna pursue like trying to be more involved with them. And and so I invited them back to play at my university for the the university, not just a house show. Um, and then that turned into, you know, starting a record label. Like I think all of those times it's you know, it's just that one little thing where I'm like I think there's a reason, you know, and it, and it, for me, like hearing about Elon Musk's simulation theory, like, I'm like, this is maybe not too far off from what's really <laughs> happening because it's, there's too many coincidences of like chance meetings that turn into something greater.
1: Yeah. Are you, do you have uh like faith or belief in, uh, um, uh,
0: Am I religious at all? What what's the word?
1: <laughs> um, destiny. Destiny yeah, yeah, is that yeah. the word? Um, or or do you think you? Because you also talk about making your own opportunities, which yeah. I love. Or um,
0: you know, do you do you feel like you kind of make your own luck by being in the moment and being aware? I mean, I'm I'm. It's funny because I was uh, raised in a very uh, religious household. I was you know sort of required to go to church every Sunday, and. Um, you know, my family went to a church where they spoke in tongues, and it was a very like deeply religious kind of upbringing. And I and I really rebelled against that as a teenager. Um, and it's been sort of this long journey of kind of coming back to this notion of like, I'm not necessarily religious, and I don't believe in any one sort of god or anything. But I'm, I I feel like I am at this place now where I'm kind of spiritual, where I'm like. I don't know what the hell is happening, but there's some weird stuff happens all the time and there's nothing to explain it. And right. so I'm just gonna like be mystified by it all and enjoy the ride. Yeah. Of.
1: Yeah. What's the Elon Musk theory? I mean, I read it when it when he talked about it, but it's basically that we're in a, a simulation. Yeah. Or within a simulation within
0: what yeah. I mean, he basically says that like um if we're to the point right now where we can Simulate life and create our own sorts of, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and you know community, like all of that stuff. Like, if we're at the point where we can do that, like, who's to say that it hasn't already been done? And where are the results of that? <laughs> Which is, I mean, to me, it makes I mean, it's as good of reason as any, you know. <laughs> Hey everyone,
1: I want to talk to you about a little something you can do to help making Way's podcast. And it doesn't cost you a nickel or a dime or a penny or $100. It's actually free and will just take you a couple minutes. And what I'm asking you to do is leave a review on iTunes. When you leave a review on iTunes, it's a really incredible way to turn more people onto the show. So if you head over there, leave a little note about what you like about the show or one of your favorite episodes. It'll take a few minutes, and it's really an incredible way you can support the show. Thanks so much, and let's get back to the conversation. Has there been a time that, uh, that pops to your head around making your own opportunity? Because I know you've talked about you know, reaching out to companies who didn't have artists in residency yeah. programs and just pitching yourself. Yeah. Talk me through that idea of making your own opportunities. And also, I mean, that can be really hard. I yeah. know for me it's it's hard to do. It's hard to put yourself out there. Yeah. And, you know, either face rejection or the unknown. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, it's hard to A, articulate the thing that you want and B, you know, find that right avenue to connect it all. So I'd love to hear about your approach to, to that idea.
0: Yeah, I mean it's definitely something that also when I was teaching that was my biggest advice. I, I taught portfolio, um, senior portfolio, a number of times, and and I would always just encourage them: just find places that you're interested in, reach out to them, offer to buy them coffee, find who who works there and the work that you like, like find out who made that, offer to buy them coffee, take them out. To lunch and just ask them how they got to do what they're doing and I mean the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to not respond to your email like that's not that's not a very bad scenario like right a lot more amazing things could come out of it that you could never dream of so yeah
1: and have there been other opportunities besides that residency that have come up because you just had an idea and and helped to manifest it
0: yeah I mean I mean, I, I would say my whole career is based on that simple notion of, like, you don't know what's going to happen. Just ask. Do you follow
1: an instinct or an interest, or do you feel like you have the idea pretty well formulated before you maybe toss it out there?
0: Um, I think it varies. It's, it's definitely, sometimes it's just like, um, you know, I, I didn't contact you thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to meet you and like I'm going to be on your podcast and like that <laughs> right. wasn't like anywhere near of like it was just like oh I think we might have some things in common and Chloe thought we should meet so let's let's do that and then it turned into this and so and I and I feel like like maybe sometimes there I have an idea of something that I want to do and I but I don't know who the right people to talk to and it's just like I'll, I'll start I think it's Steve Jobs had that, has that quote about you can't make, um, he's like, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. And so I think a lot of times I'm just realizing that there's dots out there to be connected to. Right. And, and then I try to keep them. I have this weird memory of like the people that I meet and the things that I'm interested in. And I've never like tried to chart it out or anything, but it's, it's through those connections that these things happen. Yeah, I love that.
1: And so you started out your career at Wyden. Mm-hmm. You were there for several years. Yeah, four years. Four years. And after that, did you go to Nike right after that, or was there uh, some time, was it grad school?
0: No. Yeah, so there was actually um, between... I, I started in Nike, I think, in 2007, so there was... Three years in between, where I was just trying to figure out what I the hell I was doing. I was like, I knew I wanted to do more creative work, but I didn't. I, my undergrad degree is in marketing, um, so and I was self-taught doing design. Like on the Modest Mouse seven-inch that I put out was made in Microsoft Publisher on my PC <laughs> computer, like completely just doing it on my own. I ended up actually going to Mount Hood Community College in Portland to kind of brush up on some of those skills. And my wife was, at the time, working at Dark Horse Comics, um, cool. making toys, and I ended up getting a freelance job through there working on packaging design and some of their marketing materials. And then I, it eventually became more full-time, and so I stopped doing the Mount the community college thing and was just working at Dark Horse. Um, and then those freelance opportunities ended up I didn't have those anymore, so I was just you know looking for other things. I ended up freelancing with. I w- got brought in as a um, a recruiter for Leica to recruit um, illustrators to represent their styles for animation. Oh, cool! So I w- I was there for a bit. I, I mean, I actually ended up freelancing in the studio at Wyden for a little bit. Um, I have a friend that runs this modern furniture store in Portland called Hive Modern, and I was like. Helping him with his website, like I was just doing all sorts of different things, and then a friend that I used to work with at Wyden, who, when you're at um, at Wyden, when you're there for seven years, you get a sabbatical. And so one of my friends who had worked there on his sabbatical, he went to work for Nike SB. He just offered to go work there um, and and do a stint, and then they ended up offering him a job. Yeah, the and SB so, stands for skateboarding. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And then so um, he was looking for help at SB and um, we were talking and he was like, would you want to come in and freelance and work on some, you know, design for marketing and um, things like that. And so I ended up going to work there They offered me a job. Cool. And it was sort of like a childhood dream come true. Yeah. What was the experience like working at Nike? It was amazing. I mean, working for that group at that time was really exciting. It was, um, you know, Nike had tried doing skateboarding in the past and had not been very successful. And so I kind of came in there at the right time when they were doing it in earnest again and had brought in a lot of, you know, respected people in the skateboarding industry and were starting to get taken seriously and all the all the writers that they had at the time and still are they have you know some of the best writers in the industry so being able to you know go to meetings and see Lance Mountain you know Childhood Heroes was just like a dream come true for sure and were you illustrating and designing or so this is still before I'd even okay tried to do anything by hand in terms of illustration I was just like a trackpad designer like That was kind of my day to day. Yeah. And so, and I was doing like magazine ads for Thrasher. Um, We did. um, So you skateboarded growing up? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like that was, I think, beyond music, I think music and skateboarding were like my biggest influences growing up in terms of like graphics on skateboards, you know, graphics on album covers, like that totally informed like the things that I was interested in and my aesthetic and tastes early
1: early on. You've talked about dealing with sometimes pretty crippling uh, depression and anxiety throughout Mm -hmm. your career. And I really appreciate your openness on that subject. I think having more people talk about that helps to get it out of the shadows, get it into the light, get more people to open up and learn and grow and improve and I know that you've talked about kind of wrapping up Nike yeah, and kind of hitting a bit of a, a brick wall. Yeah. And so I'd like to hear a little bit about that time. And I'd also like to know about other times when you have kind of sunk into the valley and yeah. maybe ways you've learned to get yourself out. And if not get yourself out, maybe ways that you've grown more comfortable with. Yeah. The low space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was it was at Nike where I found the term cognitive dissonance. Like I hadn't I wasn't aware of that term before. And it was, you know, just learning about like, okay, here I am in a place that is like a childhood dream. Like I said, it's like where everybody wants to work. And how can and I was so confused as to why I was not feeling um like, super excited. Like, I it, it was like a, a very weird thing to be, you know, in the place that you've always dreamed about being and then just feeling like you didn't want to get out of bed, you know? <laughs> right,
1: right. Um, the place you always imagined and then feeling like it's so far from where you belong.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so that's when just everything falls apart because it's like you're in a war with yourself basically
1: you've been working you've been you know striving to get to this place you get there and
0: yeah 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 and so i mean at the time i just like i pretty much had a complete breakdown and i had to i was about to have my my child my my wife and i were having our first child first and only um and i it was like the worst timing possible um but So I ended up taking a leave of absence and then I ended up, you know, not even just, I just realized I can't go back because I I was more, it it wouldn't be good for anybody for me to go back. You know, it's like I wasn't, you know, putting in the work that I needed to be doing um, in terms of just having my full capacity. It was just a real struggle on a day-to-day basis. And so it took a lot out of me to, you know, admit that to myself and to just be like, okay, I need to like regroup and figure out like, why isn't this working and what do I need to be doing next? Um, And yeah, so I, I mean, I've struggled with depression, I think since I was a teenager for sure. I mean, I had a lot of weird random things um, happen to me growing up that I think contributed to that um, just in terms of abuse and I had my eye shot out with a BB gun when I was uh, 15 years old and all sorts of things that are related to that, that, you know, when you're 15 years old and you're trying to figure yourself out and you have traumatic things like that, I think now looking back, it's like, yeah, of course I have got some demons that I need to like figure out. And so,
1: yeah, maybe at the time, you know, one just tries to patch it up and yeah roll through especially as a teenager it's yeah. like you just got to survive day to day you're not gonna totally analyze uh the trauma yeah. that you've been through but yeah later on in life you can look back and say okay makes sense that some yeah. puzzle pieces are askew
0: yeah and and i think it was I don't even know. So, I mean, I tried patching it up with all sorts of things over the years. It's like you do the things that you do to make your day go by, like you get on the pharmaceuticals that they tell you to get on, even though you don't know what's necessarily wrong with you in the first place. Um, So it took a long time to like, I just recently was diagnosed with uh, bipolar. There was, and I still like, maybe that's not even the right diagnosis, but for me, that makes the most sense out of anything that I've heard so far. And, yeah. and I found out that the pharmaceuticals that I was prescribed were actually the worst thing that you could subs- oh, prescribe somebody gosh. with bipolar. So how long were you on those? I was on like at least a decade. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so once I heard that diagnosis, it kind of like the veil was kind of lifted of just like this fog that I was in for the longest time. And I was able to kind of like look at the way that I'd gone through these sort of ups and downs and like been able to kind of just like keep a a fresh um, perspective of around, okay, I know that it's not going to always be like, I'm always not going to be on top of the world. I'm not always going to be in the worst like place that I've ever been. It's going to be this kind of up and down, but I can kind of like, weather the storm a little bit better now.
1: Yeah, that's great. I think it's a great lesson that accepting what has happened to us in the past and realizing that that makes us how we are today. Yeah, And also, you know, the diagnosis, how important that is to just knowing what it, what's going on.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it's just, it's really hard to slow down and figure that stuff out. You're just so caught up in like, I've got to pay the bills. Like, I don't have time to like, <laughs> no. To to s- sit around and like go talk to a bunch of people and and yeah. get a million different right you go to like, a doctor you got a recommendation yeah and
1: that's what a doctor is so totally you move on yeah
0: um, but I think yeah now I'm in this place where I'm like okay like I'm gonna have good days I'm gonna have bad days and I'm just gonna like I think that that's where that sort of faith comes back into play of like the universe has a lot of th- Things that are possible. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so if I'm having like the worst day of my life today, like tomorrow might be the best day of my life.
1: I love that. I really do. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a, a really great thing to to remember and to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. I mean, I actually posted at Widen when I got my bipolar diagnosis, like it was pretty close to when I started at Widen. Okay. And there was, um, national bipolar month or national bipolar day or something like that and so i was like i feel like i need to you know make people aware of this so i posted on my instagram i actually sent out an all agency email saying you know this is things that people struggle with like we should be talking about it and, and wow people should be aware and like i had like the most amazing just people that i didn't even know like you know on instagram lots of like just supportive messages and at at work, just, it was really great. Was that hard to kind of out yourself in that way? Or did you want to do that to help destigmatize things? Definitely destigmatize for sure. I mean, I'm 42 years old now and my dad died when he was, um, I don't even know how old he was now, but he, you know, it was, When you were like a kid? Not when I was a kid. It was actually um, right when I started at Nike in 2007, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I don't know, you know, how long this ride will last. And and to like try to hide things about myself that I know um, I struggle with and that I know that other people might struggle with. And I think it's especially scary with like when you have things like Instagram and social media where everything looks perfect. Yeah. People post the yeah the perfect life. Yeah. yeah and so I, I try to be as transparent as possible. Like when I'm going through shit, like I'll post that I'm going through shit. Like, yeah. um, because I don't want it to make it seem like it's all amazing. There's like just as many bad days as good days.
1: Yeah. Know? Has creativity and creative output helped you, Get over those rough patches, or how do you how do you feel kind of creativity plays into mental health, happiness, those kinds of things?
0: yeah, weed and creativity <laughs> are the only things I think that at this point, like those are the things that get me through those rough days for sure, yeah, like being able to make work um, that is in response to the struggles that I have and and just getting them out of my head and onto paper or on the computer whatever like that is the release i realized like by bottling it up it does nobody any good so yeah um, i I try to just like get it out of me through whatever way i can
1: jason thanks so much for joining the show i've really loved the conversation and yeah it's just great to connect with you more and i'm excited to share more of your
0: your story with listeners i'm very excited to be here thanks so much
1: That was my conversation with Jason Sturgill. Jason, thank you so much for joining the show. I really enjoyed the conversation and just so appreciate all of your openness and sharing so much of your story. I highly recommend you guys check out jasonsturgill.com and you can get all of the show notes and links to all these places that Jason spoke about and illustrations that I've done of guests and articles and so much more at makingways.co. And you can sign up for our newsletter where I share new merchandise, new live events behind-the-scenes, look at the show, and so much more. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, please send it on to a friend or a colleague and help spread the word about making ways. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next week.